From the dojo to the octagon, we bring you the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast! Welcome to another edition of the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast. This is your co-host, Sri Pendikatla, and with me is co-host Shihan Russ St. Hilaire, 7th degree black belt in Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu. I'm really excited to get one going today, Shihan. How about you? Definitely. This is a great subject. I know a lot of the uh, students and listeners have these discussions, and, and so I'm excited to, uh, to talk about it. Great. And we're going to kick off a multi-part series today on a student's journey from white belt to black belt and beyond. This topic was brought to us by Sensei Chris Richards, third degree black belt in Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu and head instructor of the Kobukai Kensington Dojo. Welcome to the show, Sensei. Thank you for having me both. Why don't you give us a quick synopsis of the genesis of this topic, and we'll dive right in, Sensei. Absolutely. So I've been fairly reflective recently. You know, I'm coming up on my 20th year in jiu-jitsu and started thinking back to a faithful day in 2004. I walked into a place. I had no idea what to expect. 20 years later, I'm still kind of doing the same thing. When we look at students coming in, and it's it really is a journey because you're going to put several years in. And coming from a white, what do you think? What do you do? Um, how your maturity level is, then as you move on to say yellow, you're starting to learn a few things. Um, how you feel, um, how the dojo changes, at least in your eyes and also, you know, the eyes of your training partners and also even getting up to blue, how that evolution comes. And I think there are a lot of subtle things that happen to both you um, personally, but also the culture around you and how you become accepted into that fabric. So let's talk about... Um, the old school, the old Hanbu when you used to come in. Back in the day when we were at the old Hanbu, which is originally West Hartford when I started, then Glastonbury from there, the white belt sat on the far wall prior to class. It's kind of like you're the new guy, the, F- the FNG, I'm your dime a dozen. Pretty much the expectation was you'd be quiet, you sit, you observe. Uh, you had the upper belts on the back wall. Uh, they were normally yucking it up, fairly relaxed uh, compared to your fairly paranoid state. The black belts, of course, were up at the camisa, normally relaxing or kind of pacing about, thinking about what they're doing in class. Now, let's talk about a white belt, because I can tell you from personal experience, and I tell all my students this, walking in the door of the dojo will probably be one of the hardest things you ever do. The hardest thing you do second will be coming back again. Now, that may be the very next class. It could be a week. It could be two weeks. Some people, you know, it takes them a little time to go, do I really want to go back in and do this? Now, the third hardest thing you're going to do in your journey is coming back time and time again. We've often said a a black belt is nothing but a white belt that keeps coming back. It's probably one of the most prophetic things I've ever heard. And it's true because you just have to keep coming back and be consistent. Now, as a white belt, you can expect a lot of things coming in. Anxiety is one of them. um, And that's a good thing. Chances are, unless you're coming in with previous experience, you're not sure what to expect, where things will go, or what will be happening. After your first few classes, or possibly your first, you'll come to the realization that there is nothing you can do to protect yourself, defend, or even do anything offensively from getting trounced. It's the old cat and the ball and the string. There's just nothing you can do. And that's where you should be, because there's a lot that you're going to learn over time. So what should a white belt do coming in? You know, first of all, observe. Watch closely everything that's going on. Learn. I also say take notes a lot, uh, either during class or after. Normally after, you should do a debrief. 
focus uh, because there's so much going on. You're going to miss little details. Uh, another thing is be humble. Uh, you're coming in, you are coming into a brand new society. So just lay back, let uh, things happen as they may and kind of soak it all in. Also be inquisitive. Questions are the most important things to understand. Also remember white belts tend to remain outsiders. And this doesn't mean that we don't like you or that we're not accepting of you. We will always be personal, but no offense, white belts come and go. We've seen hundreds of them. Uh, some will come in for a few days and we may never see them again. Uh, some will leave us after a few months. You know, our goal ultimately is if we leave you with more tools and techniques that you can defend yourself, that's a win, no matter how long you stay. But remember, those that stick around are beginning a great journey. Also, please, this is a teacher's pet peeve. Please don't teach. Uh, it, you, you want to get under the skin of your instructors or even some of the senior belts, this is the best way to do it. So just because you've watched YouTube and now done 10 Jiji Katamis, remember, you don't even have the most basic understanding of that. So leave that to your instructors. Now, I'm going to pause and, you know, Sri, I'd like your opinion, but I also like Xi'an's opinion because we've all been around. We've been on the journey for years. So what are your thoughts about a white belt coming in? Thanks, Sensei. I can share some of my thoughts, uh, and I definitely want to hear what Xi'an um, has to say. I think people are motivated for different reasons, and those motivations change over time. For me, as a beginner white belt, I was really, really excited and inspired by some of the more senior belts as I watched them pull off throws and Aikijutsu and weapons defense techniques that were reminiscent of uh, action movies that I've seen, no joke. Um, I witnessed a brown belt test as my first introduction to Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu in the East Hartford Dojo when Xi'an gave me a personal invite. I was hooked from day one. But very quickly that motivation wanes as it gave way to the realization at least for me, that it takes a lot of conditioning. And what I mean by that is big time pain from being on the receiving end of those techniques and getting your organs and your brain jostled and sloshed around in your body, far exceeding the tolerance that I think the human body could withstand for an average person. So that's basically you know, how I felt about um, white belt. And, and as you said, we probably lose more students at this stage than any other. The sheer revolting sensation that my body and mind were conspiring against my better judgment to stay away was overwhelming. There was a certain sadistic and nihilistic tendency that kicked in to, to push me back through that door um, and to take me through White Belt. Well, it's really been great hearing your viewpoints um, as the student uh, and then as a student who has become an instructor. And of course, I started out as a student, just like everybody else, walking through that door on day one. And you're right, Sri, everybody does come with a different need, a different expectation. Um, but I think universally, um, it is more than people expect. So I, I'm sure they expect, uh, you know, if they know anything about jujitsu, that there's going to be some grappling and some groundwork and, you know, probably some takedowns. Um, if they're not familiar with jujitsu, they, they have no idea. But um, and then there's the people that, you know, they know they want to have some self-defense or they want to improve their fitness. 
Um, there's, there's lots of things that people come through the door with, but I think the reality uh, is way different than um, what they expected. And that reality is, you know, jujitsu is probably the realist, most realistic martial art that there is. Uh, therefore, it's not got forms, you know, like karate. It's it's you and another person being completely physical with each other. And um, you, you really just have to understand that it's going to be rough. Um, not only is the is the art itself, you know, rough, and it has to be because, you know, you're learning real self-defense, but there's also the conditioning part that was mentioned. And, you know, we do consider conditioning to be very important. And I don't just mean like conditioning, like you go to the gym to try to build muscles. We're talking about conditioning your body to be able to both do jujitsu and to receive jujitsu. So all of the physical exercises, the calisthenics, the stretching, um, you know, the, the breathing, the cardio, all of that is really to allow your body to do jujitsu and to receive it as safely as possible. And people come in thinking they're in shape um, and they may be in shape for something that they do right? Maybe they're a runner, so they're they're great at running, or they're a swimmer, so they're great at swimming, or they lift weights, so they're strong. But nobody walks through that door being conditioned enough uh, for a jiu-jitsu class. And I think everybody learns that pretty quickly. So it, it does become a little intimidating, right? Um, like was mentioned by, by Sensei, you come in, you see it happening, you're pretty excited. Um, you know, you do your first class and then you suddenly realize, wow, that's really hard. And then, you know, you psych yourself up, you come back the next class, you probably sit in your car in the parking lot contemplating whether or not you actually want to go in and, and, and you do. And then you realize, wow, it's, it's still really hard. And then time goes by and you're hoping it's going to get easier. You're hoping that, you know, at some point this is going to be a little bit more like, you know, smooth dance class kind of thing. And it just keeps being hard the entire time. And of course, what a student doesn't often realize is as you get better at what you do, as you get more conditioned, the instructor is going to ratchet it up to kind of push you to a place where you haven't been before. So it's, it's always going to be hard. And that's where the mental part takes place. That's why we have so many people that leave at white and yellow belt. It's not because the school isn't good. The instruction isn't good. It's not because it's too hard because people absolutely can do it. Anybody conditioning, any, any, anybody can do this. But the mental piece, the part where you have to mentally force yourself through um, the discomfort, through the physical challenge, through the mental challenge, through learning Japanese words, through the sudden realization that you're not a tough guy or or a tough woman, not like you thought, and that there is a hierarchy, a real hierarchy that doesn't necessarily exist out in the civilian world um, that you're going to have to be part of and agree to and understand. That's where the mental part starts eating away at people, and and some and many of them just cannot do it. But those that do, those that push through, um, will will continue to move forward. Uh, so. You know, your white belt is an awful lot about finding out a lot about yourself. Sure, you find out stuff about the dojo. 
You find out stuff about the Japanese martial arts and about jiu-jitsu and belts and charts and all of that stuff. But what you find out mostly is you find out things about yourself. And often there are things that are they're uncomfortable. And, you know, you, you got to realize that you have to let go. You have to relax. You have to listen to what your instructor says and do what they say because, you know, they're your best interest is what they have in their mind, and then you will progress. Um, you, you can't develop doubts. You can't talk about what you saw on YouTube or in the latest grappling competition. You just have to empty your mind and accept what your instructor, who has also gone through this journey, is there to, to give you and that you need to absorb. So that's what I feel about White Belt. I think that was a fantastic uh, perspective from both Sri and you, Xi'an, because it rounds everything out, right? Again, I'll, I'll stress that a student coming in, you will not be the same person uh, by the time you reach yellow, by the time you reach blue, or even by the time you reach black. You will have gone through a transformation. You're not going to be the same person, and you will look back on it years later and see it. Absolutely agree. It is a life-changing experience. If you'll simply allow yourself uh, the humility and develop the tenacity to continue through the journey. And it's a journey worth it for those that are listening out there right now. Absolutely. Um, it can be really intimidating. You know, you're thinking you want to go join this martial art class for whatever reason, or, you know, maybe you saw some videos or something on TV. But, you know, the actual doing it, the walking through that door the first time, I, I remember the same thing. It's super intimidating. Um there's an excitement to it, but you know, you're just seeing these people with experience that are seemingly beating the heck out of each other and somehow laughing and enjoying it. Um, and I, I just feel like that's super intimidating. Uh, so, you know, I congratulate anybody that takes that first step and, and shows up and then continues to show up. Um, and then the exciting part, the truly exciting part is when I see the fascination with the art form develop. When when you see people truly interested in how does this technique work and why does this technique work and when should I do it and you know working to perfect the the technique which you know in turn is helping to perfect their physical self and their mental self and when you start to see that really developing that fascination and that studying the charts and learning the names, uh, then you know that that person is probably on the journey to the next level mm -hmm. to Yellow Belt. I'd agree. And a humbling story just from my own. I think, Xi'an, you can probably back this up. I came to my first class, and I think my first class was you was a private, but my first real class, I had Jose and I had Brian. So Jose, I think, was 5'6", and he was four feet wide. He was a big uh, Yukon cop. <laughs> yep. 250 pounds. And Brian was 6'5", or some, something absurd, <laughs> like 230 pounds. And I got destroyed so bad, I don't think I came back to the very next class. I think I took the next class or two off. And the reason that I'm telling people that is – it's hard. And you may look up and go, those black belts had to go through the same journey. But we've made the conscious decision to come back. So yeah, don't, the, don't think it was easy. And, and the funny part with that story, and that's absolutely true. Uh, but for the listeners, uh, when, when Sensei Chris is talking about being destroyed, I mean, there's no competition. 
Like you don't walk into your first class and start uh, doing Nawaza, uh, you know, Randori or any of that. This was just going through the warm up, uh, and then you know, actually learning how to fall, learning how to throw, taking your first throws, taking your first ground submissions, um, and and from your perspective, um, you know, you got destroyed. And well, yeah, I think that's a good perspective because. These are the most basic, most simple things, um, but it's new for everybody that walks through the door. And I mean everybody. I mean, we have had people like Sensei Kenny who had had multiple black belts, you know, Judo and Hapkido. And we've had, you know, Kyokushin Karate black belts and, and, and other experienced people come through the door. So they're, they're no stranger to martial arts. And I think everyone would still describe their early experiences exactly the way you did. Um, it's just that real of uh, a self-defense martial art. I wanted to um, ask about maybe the, uh, the opposite extreme of people that come in. Because so far we talked about people who are sincere about coming in and learning and challenging themselves. But I want to get your both your take on individuals that do not come in for wholesome reasons. I'm talking about those people that have might have a martial arts background that come in to potentially challenge the instructors and to show off their own skills and prove that their style is better. Um, I, I recall um, an incident once in East Hartford a long time ago where uh, there was a teenager that came in with his parents with a sparkling new black belt. I mean, I think that thing was literally shining with the lettering, <laughs> at least. Um, and and I think they expected that his black belt would be accepted and he would stand at the front and all should bow before him. Um, the outcome was that he never came back. So I'm just curious, Xi'an, if you remember that um, that individual or, or, or instances like that. I think we've had the spectrum. Um, I know myself personally, I have had on the negative side, I've had the people that come in uh, with, you know, their black belt on and uh, they may be in jujitsu or they may be in other martial arts, but do expect sort of like, you know, that attention, those accolades. Um, but they're coming in as a student. Now, of course, it would be completely different if they were coming in as a guest, a guest instructor, a guest black belt, of course, treated with the utmost respect. But when you're coming as a student, everybody's expected to start from the beginning. Nobody gets any rank. It doesn't matter what you have. Everybody starts at white belt. Everybody starts at the beginning. Um, and that can be uh, a problem for these people's ego. So, yes, we, we did have the shiny black belt guy that came in. And, um, you know, he, he didn't have a particularly aggressive personality, so we squashed that pretty quick. Uh, but we've had non-martial artists join the class that were just these, you know, super competitive or very streetwise kind of people that were constantly, you know, pushing the envelope and, and trying to show everybody how how great they are. Um, and it will depend on the individual. Some of those individuals I saw potential for the class to change how they were. And so, you know, we would take care of that through the normal, you know, the normal things, right? Work them harder than they ever could expect, um, you know, make them exhausted, uh, have them work with, you know, tough senior people, you know, until their ego gets in check. Um, then there's been other people where they, you know, you could just tell pretty much right away. They weren't going to change. They're there to prove something. And uh, we've had to ask them to leave. Um, you know, we do operate our clubs as private clubs. 
you are accepted to the club by the instructor. Um, this isn't something where, you know, you join the YMCA and you sign a contract, therefore I deserve said services. That's not how we run things. Um, so if you don't fit, uh, it's totally up to the instructor to let you know that uh, it's not a good fit and um, you need to go. Then we have had, or I have had, I've had someone come in and just personally challenge me. You know, they, they were a martial artist and they just wanted to, you know, show that they were better than whatever we were doing in that school. And of course, that's where you fight back with your mind, not with your body. So although there is a long-standing tradition of if someone comes in and challenges the main instructor, they have to fight with senpai first. And if they can get through senpai, then they can go to the main instructor. But that's kind of, you know, an old tradition. You know, basically, I, I questioned the guy pretending that I wanted to just be very clear. And, and my questions were, so you want to fight me? Is, is that what you're doing? Yes, I, I want to fight me. So you're, you're coming into my, you know, my place, into my club, and you're asking me, um, you, you want to fight me? And, you know, that, I just want to be clear. Yep, I, I absolutely want to fight you. I'm like, you understand that, like, fighting is illegal, right? You can be arrested for assaults, right? And then you just start going down this mental path, not trying to get out of the altercation, but kind of just trying to show the person that his ego has made him ignorant. And, you know, you wind him down the path till he realizes, listen, we're, we're not here to play your reindeer games, right? If you want to come and train, great. If you need somebody to feed your ego, this is absolutely not the place. And at the same time, you know, you're prepared in case things turn into a fight real quick. Um, but 99% of the time, a person that feels like they have to do that has got uh, a big ego built by um, a lot of fear that that person has. So, you know, we, we handled that without, without any issue. Um, I'm sure both you and Sensei Chris remember people that we've invited to the holiday bashes that have uh, way overstepped their bounds, you know, being a higher ranking person and like beating the living crap out of white belts. And, um, you know, I'm sure you all remember how we handled that. Send Oz. We sent in Oz. <laughs> oh yeah, you probably, and, and, and uh, Oz was not a black belt at that time. Um, so it was like, yeah, you, you need to go fight him. And then, you know, after that person was destroyed and I walked by, by and tapped Oz on the back like, that's enough. Um, I think he woke up pretty quick that, guys, we're, we're being nice here. We're having a good time here. This isn't about trying to prove anything because if you actually want to prove something, you're not going to like the answer. Um, but in general, over the many, many decades that I've done this, it's it's been few and far between that, uh, you know, we've we've had that. There's been a handful of people. Um, Sensei Chris, I'm not sure if you've had any in, in your dojo or not. I have, and I'm going to take it from a little bit different angle because I think you hit the big thing. First of all is ego. Ego is probably one of the most biggest killers of any student. <clears throat> but let's talk about, you know, the environment maybe they're coming from. Maybe they've got a black belt from somewhere else. If their instructors, their school does not teach that, you know, that respect that, hey, I'm going somewhere else, be humble. Remember that thing we said before, be humble. Uh, coming in the door, uh, there's probably either a problem with the school or a problem with the person. You know, what did they teach them on how to approach these things? 
And I'm not going to toot jujitsu's horn, but chances are if you're coming in from something else, maybe it'd be karate or something else, you are most likely going to get destroyed coming into a jujitsu class. So it, it behooves you to come in. Personal experience, I went to Formiga's BJJ class when I was a black belt. He said, no, 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 just come on board. I said, no, I'm, I'm dumping my belt. I said, I, I'm not wearing a black belt in your class. That's one, it's disrespectful. And second, I am starting a brand new journey. So my next class, I came back with my white belt. And it's you have to be that kind of person to go, I need to be humble. I need to start again. And you're, you know nothing. So take it back down to the very basics. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think that's also uh, a result of the dojo and your instructor, just like mm-hmm. you said. I mean, you, you develop your approach towards the martial art and towards the discipline and towards the traditions from your school and from your instructor and and somebody that comes in they're just a jerk about it and have a you know have a big ego and are there to prove something they're usually reflecting what's going on um in the place that they were i'm talking about a martial artist uh in the place that they were previously studying so you know it's telling you a lot about where they're coming from um and personally you know i don't expect a white belt to know anything or to have any of the traditions right or even have the etiquette mm-hmm. right i just need them to be humble understand that they're doing something new they're working with a good instructor that wants to help them they need to shut their mouth and open their ears give it 150 percent, which i know is impossible but that's what we want and everything will be fine everything will be fine um if you start you know trying to prove anything, especially in a jiu-jitsu dojo, you're right. It's it's going to be a bad day. Um, even though we try to be gracious and humble and all of that, uh, we're also not a group of instructors that's going to take a lot of crap either. So um, for any person considering joining and they're listening to this, just come in, be humble, be quiet, open your ears, shut your mouth, try real hard, and you'll have a great time and we'll succeed. Um, I just wanted to... At a personal anecdote, before I joined Kobukai, I was a senpai, a senior student. One class, the sensei didn't come to uh, class. This was uh, traditional karate. One of these students uh, invited one of their friends who was a um, more advanced student in Hapkido. I believe that's the uh, Korean version of jujitsu that we have, showing off all these flips and things that we had no concept of in karate. And when we were lining up to bow in, he refused to bow. And he's, he's like, no, we, we bow here. You know, you're a guest. And he's like, no, I will not bow to you. You know, we went through the class, and then he, you know, was pretty disrespectful throughout the whole time. And in the end, it was the same, same thing again. And I felt disgraced, kind of humiliated through that. It was one of the reasons I, you know, also realized, like, what he had was far superior. His techniques, his skills, everything he knew was far superior to what I had. I don't think that probably would have ever transpired here in Kobukai, but but I want to share that to get your thoughts on Well, I think, you know, your perception is that his techniques were far superior, but it seems like uh, his etiquette uh, was not far superior. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Because obviously he did not know how to act in a dojo, and um, especially the fact that someone is saying "I will not bow to you," that already tells me that they've never even been told what the bowing is about. You know, they they think they're 
bowing to you in submission or something like that. And, you know, that that's just a lack of education. No matter how good your techniques are, when you don't get the the full picture, when you don't understand the etiquette, the traditions, the hierarchies, you know, how it all actually works in a warrior society, then you're, you're just missing out. I'm not saying you can't defend yourself. That's not really the relevant point. What is the relevant point is with all that training, it didn't make you a different kind of person, you know? So what, why did you bother? You know, that's, that's a real big missing piece when somebody does that. Like if that were to happen to me today, I just say get out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, an interesting note to that street was after you saw that, is that somebody you would have wanted to be instructed by? Absolutely not. Exactly. So that's the thing you have to look at. Somebody may be awesome. Their techniques are great, but that's only one part of the, t- the, the person, right? You have to have somebody who is a good instructor that leads without ego, that actually has that packaging because it's just the arrogance of some things and maybe that's just their style that does not make them a great teacher or somebody you want to learn with or want as a mentor. We've talked about teaching and and you know what it takes to be a senpai and a sensei and stuff in other other podcasts, but the you know it's it's worth repeating that a great instructor is one whose focus is on their students and not on themselves. If their concern is they need to make their students as good and then better than they ever were, then their focus will always be in the right place. If they are thinking about showing their students how good they are and always winning and, you know, sitting at the throne at the front of the dojo, then you're definitely with the wrong instructor. Um, that's, that's not a traditional uh, martial art that you're involved in. So yellowbelts, right? Um, I'm going to throw out an analogy. When the bodies hit the floor, drowning pool, probably this is sometime around 2005 of my studies, I am sitting driving to Glastonbury and the song is blaring in my Jeep as I drive up because that's basically what your life is going to be for the next hour and a half or you know, the <laughs> next three hours after that for the week. You know, you got three classes, you're trying to make them all. But, you know, a yellow belt at that point, you've hung in there long enough. Um, it still sucks. It doesn't get better, like you were saying, Xi'an. You think you're getting better, and all of a sudden it gets harder because the, the operational tempo just raises every time you start to get close to the bar. Absolutely. Um, you know, yellow belts are also normally kind of a part of the group at that point. You've graduated off that back wall, you know, that far wall, to the side of the dojo, at least in the old Hanbu. That's how we did it. Uh, you could yuck around a little bit. You're still respectful to those blues and browns because they are going to tear you apart every last time you get involved with them. Your best day is, hey, I almost tapped a blue belt. (laughs) (laughs) And occasionally, hey, you might get lucky, but that's probably because they were laying back a little bit. They weren't going 100%. So you're a little bit more lighthearted, but they've at least earned that little respect. Now, again... We lose a lot of people at this. Um, I think we lost one kid when I was there. I can't remember his name, but names are unimportant. They broke their nose. Um, another kid popped a knee. Another kid broke a toe. <laughs> you know, somebody popped a rib. But you start getting, you know, the injuries are there. And it's not to say that, you know, 
we're out there trying to break you. No, things are going to happen. We are incredibly safe at Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu. We work to make things safe. We work to train you so you can be safe, but it's going to happen. But we get a lot of attrition at this this level because things get harder. And I found there are really normally two types of yellow belts. You've got the serious ones and the I'm still here ones. The serious ones are really starting to go, I'm this is less about something I do and more about who I am. I want to do this. And they're, they're enthusiastic. They're focused. Uh, they're conditioning both in and outside the dojo because they understand that if you don't, you know, just the, the push-ups and sit-ups and calisthenics we do in there will get you by and you get better at them. You can never do enough. Um, then you also have those ones that are, I'm still here ones. They're on the fence. They've made it to yellow belt, but they really, you know, They've still got that mental self-doubt. Uh, they're sticking in. They're learning. But they're still not fully there. And I think as an instructor, I didn't see this as much when I was a student. But you see it more as an instructor going like they're they're still trying to decide, like, do, do I want to make it to blue belt? Uh, or, or yellow belt's good. I'm, I'm good here. And I bring that up because I had the opportunity as a yellow belt to see Sensei Kenny get his black belt. And it was probably one of the most eye-opening experiences of my entire life. Uh, seeing somebody that is, you know, your senior, you're, you're, you have a lot of respect for, and probably one of the most talented individuals I'd ever seen. Go out there and do this test, which you're going, oh my God, that is really difficult. And then you see all the stuff that comes after the test. It's now they have to roll. Now they have to fight. <laughs> and I think at that moment, I was going pretty good at yellow belt. I'm good here. (laughs) Hopefully you make the choice to keep going. I think I did, but it's, you know, yellow belt is you're you're still just a ball of string and you're just beginning learning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, the transition is uh, often surprising to people, you know, because what we're really looking for is, are you safe? Are you doing the basics uh, correctly? Have you started to understand how the whole dojo works and and the etiquette and and all, everything you know around that? Um, and are you a person that if a new guy walks through the door, um, they would look at you and and know that you know you've put in some time and you've got some experience and you know you know the names on your white belt chart and all of that, right? And so the instructor sees that, and it's never really like a, a formal formal test. It's a test that often takes place over many classes. Um, but, you know, suddenly you're a yellow belt. And, and so that means you're not a novice. You're you're a beginner. And so there's some expectation of you now. Um, and you see how much you worked to get there. And then you see how long that runway is in front of you. And that scares people. You know, they, they'll get into yellow belt and they'll start learning some new techniques, which is always exciting, right? You get some new throws and new submissions, new chokes, some weapons, defense and stuff. But then it's the work and work and work. And you then that's when it really starts to sink in. Like, you know, you're, you're actually still at the beginning of this. It's a really long runway. And I do think that that frightens people, especially when they start getting the bumps and the bruises and, um, not everybody is treating you like a novice anymore. If you're doing Randori or you're doing Nawaza, I mean they're they're putting on the you know they're putting on the power, they're putting on the chokes, the arm bars, and it's it's just not uh, as fun anymore. And a lot of people just can't 
unpack that. Um, but again, the people that become fascinated with jujitsu and fascinated with how things work and start comparing like, oh, I see why I learned this at white belt, because now that makes perfect sense when I'm doing this new thing at yellow belt. And then they're even peeking over at the blue belts and, and, and their brain is even starting to see like, oh, what I'm learning now might turn into that later. Those are the people that stay. Um, they, they just are really enthralled and they've developed the mental toughness. And I just like to, um, uh, recall that Senpai Trey told me the same thing you did, Sensei, uh, that he used to blast heavy metal music on his drive to class to psych himself <laughs> up as well. And I found myself doing the same same thing, and I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I guess we're all kind of doing that now, because you kind of had to. And then when I was promoted to Yellow Belt, my entire attitude changed. I recall the very next class, I walked in through the door, and Shihan, you said something to me, um, something like, Oh, so now you're a yellow belt. You've got a hoodie on and walking around all badass or something. To that <laughs> <laughs> and I, I kind of brush it off with a smirk, but my inner smile was beaming. And I think this new attitude and getting acclimated to uh, most of the techniques and falls and throws, uh, though some were still quite harsh to take and still needed the uh, loud music on the way and uh, sustained me through until uh, I got to blue belt. Yeah, you really uh, you become a connoisseur of, of Tiger Bomb and, and other things, <laughs> Motrin, during, uh, during your yellow belt. Um, but you're right, you do all of a sudden feel like you're not just that beginner that walked through the door, like, you know a little something. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're getting better and you start to get a little swagger and, and that sort of stuff. And I think a yellow belt is where people start, you know, thinking like, you know, what would I do if this guy, you know, attacked me in a parking lot or, you know, you start thinking about situations that you might run into. Whereas in white belt, sometimes you're like basically just thinking, oh, my God, I, I thought I was tough. And now I realize I don't know anything and I'm going to get killed in a street situation. But once you're at yellow belt, you start getting a little under your under your belt and you you know start developing a little attitude, which is absolutely appropriate, um, you know, to do at that level. And as instructors. You know, we're happy to see that confidence developing. Um, and, you know, we always try to make sure we keep it under control and keep you humble. But, uh, you know, you've earned uh, some new techniques and, and we're really happy for that. You know, and to that also, they, you, you put it well, it's the confidence and the swagger. You see it in them when they're walking up to the dojo, right? There's a little bit more of a smile. Sometimes it's a troubled smile because you still know you're going to get wrecked. But at the same time, you're still Charlie Brown with a football. Every time you try and punt that thing into the end zone, somebody yanks it out from underneath you, and you end up on your back. Yeah, that's a great analogy because that's exactly what happens. And as you mentioned before, as you get better, a good instructor will make things more challenging and demand more from you. So, um, you know, whereas you're educated now you're a little bit part of the group now um things are not going to get easier and that's tough for some people and other people just eat it up um but again yellow belt another high attrition rank um it's it's sort of in the middle white belt is very high attrition blue belt is very high attrition yellow belt's kind of in the middle people can see that blue belt on the horizon they really want to get there they want to work hard for it um uh, so yellow belt's a great rank. It was I enjoyed it quite a bit. 
it's where things started making sense and and you started tying some techniques together or were taught to tie some things together and and you understood the mechanics um where you didn't have that at white belt now now you know you've learned a goshi right and now somebody shows you ipan Sioinagi and you're like oh, okay it's just like a goshi with a different arm position and you've got this this base to work from so it, it feels a little more secure um, you also see the new students come in or you see the white belts behind you and and you realize number one you were just there and number two you know they they don't know you know they don't know what's next and you kind of feel like yeah I'm privileged to get to know these these new things you know even though you're told you you can't use it on the the white belts but still you know it's in your hip pocket and it's just a great feeling yep always unfortunate on that uh that rank thing, right? And also just for those who are listening, at Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu, we really do espouse to, if you're a blue belt, please stay on the white belt chart. Um, the one that's how injuries happen. Because when you're working belt, with a white belt. Yeah. yeah stay on their chart. Uh, so we try and tell our upper belts, always stay, never go above. That's how injuries happen. It could be doing, you're doing something innocuous, but they don't know what's coming and they don't know how to react to it. So they can normally hurt themselves. But also, it's trying to keep things on parity. If I just did things off my charts, you're, you're just going to get destroyed all day. So if we want to help you learn those things we're teaching you at the time. Also, as a white belt, uh, you're basically that ball of string. When you get to yellow, it is an exciting level because, hey, I'm still a ball of string, but now I might be able to see something and block it. I may not be able to stop it, but I'm starting to get a science behind what's happening. That's um, a very good point. Um, you know, the, the normal progression, you know, in a nutshell would be white belt. You don't know anything. Uh, you don't know what to do and you don't know how to stop anything being done to you because you don't even know what it is. Once you get to yellow belt, you still may not be able to do anything to anybody. Uh, you know, and I'm talking about like if we're doing Nawaz or Randori or, you know, that kind of thing, but you start to recognize what the things are. Like when somebody's doing choking you or arm barring, you, you know, you're like, oh, you know, that's a Jujikatami or, you know, I just got caught in a Hadaka Jimmy and, and you kind of know what it is, even though you can't stop it. And then you get to blue belt and it starts being like, I, I can do these techniques to someone of a lower rank and, and they really can't stop me. Um, yeah, I don't know what half the stuff is that brown belts are doing to me, but I've got a good, you know, a good bunch of techniques under my belt and, and I, you know, I can grab a white belt or a yellow belt and I can, I can take an Udigarami or I can, you know, take a choke or I can, you know, throw them any way I want. Um, then you get to brown belt and it starts to become a little less, uh, you exerting your will on somebody and more um, taking opportunities. Things are presented to you. Mistakes are made that you take advantage of. And it's not just like necessarily aggressively taking something. It's about, oh, wow, the guy just gave me his arm. I guess, I guess it's time for Jujikatami. And then, you know, when you start moving into the higher and higher and higher ranks, um, I don't even think you know what's going to happen. And you don't necessarily have some kind of big plan. It's just you're part of what's happening. And your unconscious mind starts to manifest all the things that you learned and they and they just happened. So that's sort of the the journey of of the techniques. But at Yellow Belt, um, you're really happy that you're recognizing stuff and and hey, and maybe you can even stop it once or twice or escape, just like you've been taught. And it's it's a pretty exciting rank. Okay, true story to what Xian was just saying too. Um 
I had an incredible role with him as a yellow belt. And I still remember this to this day. It was hard and, you know, going back and forth. I think we rolled around for like 10 minutes and I get submitted multiple times. And he and I are sitting on the back wall. It's in the middle of summer. It's probably a hundred degrees out. And I turn to him and I go, so when, when you were pulling off that submission, what were you thinking at that current time? Like, wh- what was your game plan? How it was going? And you turned to me and said, I'm wondering what's on the next episode of Lost. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't wasn't really even thinking about it. It was just whatever you gave me at the moment. Yeah, it just and I realized at that point that I had just fought my ass off and you weren't even in the room. Well, that's part of the instructor really putting their attention on the student. Um, as you know now, at the level that you are, I mean, you could grab a yellow belt and just destroy them in like three seconds. And you've got hundreds of techniques you could use that they don't even know. But what, what does that do for the student? Mm-hmm. I mean, if they've got a good attitude and they're training and they follow the etiquette and the traditions, um, you're not there to teach them a, you're not there to teach them a lesson. You're there to teach them a lesson. So um, you're just there to you know, present opportunities for them to try to take advantage of and show, show you that they have learned some stuff along the way and you give them some challenges and you also show them where they made a mistake by doing the submissions. But you know, as you know, it's, it's not like extremely hard. Um, my thoughts during that time period is really about how good you as the yellow belt were doing. You know, I'm smiling when you do that escape or, you know, I'm kind of laughing internally when you just make some super, some obvious mistakes, but it's really about the student. It's definitely not about me. My mind often is just somewhere else. It was both enlightening and humbling, Shion. Well, that's like the time that we were uh, uh, having a holiday bash, I believe, or maybe it was just like a really, you know, massive rolling session and uh sensei tony was with uh, a yellow belt the yellow belt's all over him tony's just on his back and he's uh you know kind of doing the same thing relaxing and you know making the guy feel like he's getting a good fight and then uh somebody comes up to the door of the dojo and while he's fighting he just reaches out his hand to shake hands with the guy coming in the door and to welcome him while the yellow belt's working his ass off trying to like beat him and then you know it's just ridiculous to watch because you know tony can do multiple things at once cuz he's just really not all that concerned about the yellow belt yet the yellow belt's working his ass off and you know that's just how it should be um at that level but things change a little bit when the student moves to blue belt did you guys feel that change uh, where suddenly you started getting enough knowledge where you could be challenging to higher ranks? Looking back, white and yellow were probably the fun years that I view those memories fondly. So I may not share the same journey with others in blue, and for me, a reckoning was to occur in order for me to continue. So I wanted to hear from both of you first. Is there is there a common archetype for blue belts? Go ahead, Sensei Chris. I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts. Yeah, common archetype for blue. Let's talk about something first. As as a yellow and a white, uh, especially as a white, you're terrified of blue belts because they are just not to be trifled with. They're they're not going to be nice to you. I've always looked at blue belts are enforcers. Um, they're like the middle level of the dojo where they're not a senpai. Senpais are also enforcers, but they're out there just to work on their game. 
Uh, they tend to be a little bit more selfish, and that's right. They should be. They're big. They're tough. They've come a long way. Uh, I found for me, blue belt was probably my happiest belt. I love being a blue belt. I was a blue belt, I think, for two years. Uh, the techniques are challenging enough and dangerous enough, uh, but you're at that level. It's like you you know enough to where you're, you're dangerous enough, but also you don't have the pressure of brown where everything is scrutinized. Uh, so you have this big, long arc of learning. You know, you're still kind of a yellow belt for like your first year, just with all the new techniques. And then that second year, and we always say blue is long. It's it's not a quick hop for most people. That second year is like you're really honing your game. So for me, I found it, um, I was very comfortable in my own skin at blue belt, but I was getting hungry for that brown belt. I will tell you, I was personally terrified of Big Greg when I was a yellow belt. Because I knew every time I was going to roll with him, he was going to absolutely take me to task. <laughs> um, and it was like that one time, that first time I pulled off a hurrah on him as I was a blue belt, you know, because then we're kind of peers, but he was on the senior end. He was on his way up to brown. Uh, but blue is a rough belt. It's a long, long belt. Um, you're kind of getting at that point where you're saying, am I in this to go to the next level? And do I have that in me? Because it gets harder. You do injuries happen. You start this is where you get into that thing of how many things are actually hurt. Uh, you may have a couple broken toes, a couple broken fingers, a rib that's not working, a shoulder that's needing Tiger Bomb 24 by 7. But by damn it, I'm going to make it all three classes this week. Yeah, people that make it to Blue Belt, they are truly fascinated now. They, they see that they're really learning uh the martial art that they came to learn blue belt's kind of what you wished you were were when you wanted to join the class right that's mm -hmm. you, you got you have by that point you've got about 150 techniques under your belt you know you've got lots of throws takedowns chokes weapon defenses aikijitsu um all kinds of submissions on the ground uh just and and you're conditioned by that point you're you're sort of like right in the middle like you said and and you're you're in the prime of the uh, Mudancha, which is the group of ranked people below black belt, and um, uh, also you know you you start seeing what I call the pyramid of students, where you have lots of white belts, a few less yellow belts, definitely less blue belts, and much less brown belts, right? Because um, not everybody can can hack it. So you know you just feel like you're in that that great place. You've earned the respect where you're starting to get like actual real attention um, on details from your instructors, and you know you've developed uh, camaraderie with the higher ranks, and you're also looked up to by the lower ranks. Um, so now you're you're truly an intermediate student, and uh, it is a great place. Um, it's a great place to be. Uh, it's one of those places too where you start having enough in your arsenal where um, it's not just that. You can pull off techniques, whether or not you're practicing self unrehearsed self-defense or you're doing, you know, competition techniques against lower belts. But on any given day, you you might catch the upper belts too. Um, and whereas that is like, you know, a shining day for you, it is also for the instructors because they're finally seeing, you know, all of their work coming to fruition in in your execution. And they're extremely proud when that happens. I think sometimes students are a little bit like, 
you know, oh my God, I just, I just tapped a black belt or I tapped a brown belt. Like, are they going to beat the crap out of me or are they going to be pissed or whatever? And it's usually, it's just the opposite. That's where you get the big smiles from us. You know, it's like, wow, look at that, man. They're really, you know, they're really getting good. And, uh, and that's very exciting. Um, and, and again, uh, you know, more confidence, you know, I, I think for the right people, as you get towards the end of blue belt, the ego starts dropping off. You actually stop stop having that swagger where you start really realizing the weight of what you have learned and how dangerous this stuff is and the amount of responsibility now that you know it and that you're only in the middle. So, you know, these brown belts and black belts above me, they've, they've just been being kind to me this whole time. Mm-hmm. I mean... Now that I know what I know, and I know they know more than that, they could have been destroying me. And, and you really start, if you're the right person, understanding what's going on, what, what's really going on. And, you know, the passing on of thousands of years of knowledge, the improvement of the person, uh, the, the new friends, the camaraderie, the confidence in your ability to... Um, weather difficult and challenging situations, not just in self-defense, but in the whole rest of your life. So Bluebell is really this intermediate, great transition point that uh, I do think um, most people enjoy, even though it can be a little intimidating. And what I do see is, especially at the end of Bluebell, we get some attrition. Um, sometimes it's because of just the amount of work or because of injury, um, but oftentimes it's, it's like you're looking off a precipice. You worked your way all the way up the mountain and now you're looking off of this cliff that is potentially brown belt, which absolutely potentially means black belt. And it can be a very scary place. That's where all of a sudden people start to question themselves yet again. You know, am I good enough? Can I do this? Am I strong enough? Um, This is where they come up with excuses about work and family and uh, all of that. I I see it over and over again. And then you end up with um, blue belts for 10 years, 15 years, blue belts, because they're, they're comfortable. They're comfortable where they're sitting, kind of looking, you know, down the mountain towards the white belts and over the cliff towards the black belts, but they're just comfortably sitting up there. And, and it's can be difficult to move past that. Um, and I'm not certainly picking on anybody that's in that position because I've seen it a bazillion times. Um, but I can also just state it's common so that if a blue belt's listening to this or somebody that's going to become a blue belt, uh, is listening, you know, understand that that's also a natural feeling that happens quite often. And it takes a decent amount of bravery to push yourself past that point. Um, because as we've mentioned many times, if we're going to make somebody a brown belt, it's because we're considering they could potentially become a black belt someday. And, um, and I think blue belts know that after some period of time. Shihan, you, I remember you talked about that mountain when I was promoted to blue belt. And I just like to say, I'm continually impressed that there is nothing artificial in Kobukai. Though you earlier, you spoke of the student pyramid of rank. In fact, right after my blue belt promotion, you mentioned that you've never seen so many blue belts before. It was me, Sensei Larry, Senpai Mariana, Senpai Kyle, who were promoted just on the same day. And there are others that were promoted a little bit before and a little bit after around that same point in time. 
but you also stated that it becomes exponentially more challenging from from this point on and i can say with utmost confidence and i don't think anyone would argue with me and none of us knew what was ahead i definitely agree um having gone through it myself uh I, I know what I felt at that point, and now as an instructor for a really, really long time, I see that other people feel the same things. I think it's a very common journey uh, for most people in a traditional self-defense-focused jujitsu style. Um, that That is a point of, of sheer joy, uh, kind of on the other side of the coin of sheer terror. Uh, the techniques become exponentially more dangerous, the demands become more. Um, our expectations as instructors towards the blue belt become more. Uh, you know, the students below you are looking up to you, so you have to maintain a standard. Like, there's a lot of pressure there. But, you know, if you take it with the right attitude that this is just like the best thing ever, like Sensei Chris was talking about, um, you can get through those things. And uh, and then you can look forward to, you know, to moving on to a further adventure, which which is brown belt, which we'll address on a, on a different podcast. But um, I, I think, uh, you know, blue belt is the point where people start really understanding what jujitsu is all about. And one last thing I'll say about blue belt also, we had talked earlier about the journey and the maturity and the things that you go through. Uh, it's normally at that point, you make a conscious choice that you want to walk forward that precipice you talk about moving to Brown, it is not taken lightly, uh, neither from your instructors or from you, because you know, if you want to turn that corner, it's going to take every ounce and fiber in your body to do it. It's going to take a hundred percent commitment. And by the way, there are no days off. There are no, you don't get to skip classes, Brown belt. You make it. That's your expectation. Everything's going to be scrutinized. So you have normally gotten to that point to saying, I am signing up for this. Uh, and that's, some people go, hey, that's not for me. And that's great. That's fine because you're dangerous and you've got a lot of great techniques. But turning that corner is normally you've hit that point to say, this is more about who I am than something I'm doing. And I'm all in. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And, you know, we are in no way trying to... Um, say that this is too difficult for anyone to do because it's not uh the 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 groups of black belts that we have out there that have gone through this journey they didn't start out with anything special they they came in like anybody else even when they had other martial art experience which made no difference in the jujitsu class um they just like you mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast sensei they just kept showing up they just kept showing up no matter how difficult mentally or physically it was they made the commitment that they were going to make that journey no matter what, and and then they do. It's definitely doable by everyone if you have the fortitude, physically and mentally, to do it. Um, so I really encourage uh, students to commit for themselves, not for anyone else. Just commit for yourself that you want to be better than you are now. And maybe that's just white belt, you know, and getting your yellow belt for you. Maybe it's blue belt. Maybe it's all the way to black belt. Luckily, we've designed the system that, you know, if you come and you stay for three months, you're leaving with something you didn't have, something you can use right away. If you make it through white belt, you can probably really defend yourself pretty darn well. 
if you make it to blue belt, not only can you defend yourself well, but you can probably defend yourself really well against other martial artists who are who are trained. So, you know, wherever your journey ends, you're leaving with with a lot. Um, and, you know, once it's in your brain, it's yours. Um, once your body can do it, it's yours. So we've designed the system that way. However, the full journey is more than just defending yourself. The full journey from white to black belt is a personal transformation. And that's what we're hoping for everyone, for those of us who have gone through it, for the incredible amount of positive things it has brought to us personally and in our lives. We want this so bad for you. We want you to have that full transformative journey. And it all starts with white, yellow, and blue. And I think there's one quote that probably sums up everything we've said today. As you become a white belt and you come in, we want you to come along for the journey. Go to yellow, go to blue. But there will become a phrase that we have heard before. I love how much this is going to suck. And this part of the journey is hard. But that phrase will stick with you. And you get on board with it. And it's kind of in the back of your head the whole way through. In a very positive way. (laughs) So I hope that uh, gives everybody a, a view of your first three ranks. Um, and I'm really excited uh, that uh, Sensei Chris uh, wanted to talk about this and and uh, supported by Sri, and that we're going to chat about the next couple of ranks, Brown and, and then getting to Black Belt. And then we'll have a special edition about after Black Belt, which, you know, in some people's head, Black Belt is the end, right? It's your college diploma. But there is so much after that uh that we're, i'm also going to be very excited to talk about that in in uh you know the further part of this series <laughs>